Okay, so so you invited Chris, Chris Graham, to yeah. do the uh, empathy. Yeah. Um, so this is for the social neuroscientific group facilitation yeah, thing. And Chris does em- uh, empathy-based storytelling. Empathy-based storytelling. So you raised a good point that his stories lacked diversity and represent a very specific socioeconomic status, which he represents. Right. So, and yes, and I think you were, I think you were too hard on him, but I, I recognize the point you were making, Yeah. but I think it was too hard. And I'm open to a discussion about this yeah. because, so my perspective is that was his experience. Right. And so he's yeah. sharing it. He is part of that group. And so if we ignore that, then we lose his personal experience, which he was bringing in to be a person, whether or not you could relate to him, but it was like showing who he was as a person. Yeah, and I get like the way in which he described his stories. Should we tell his stories? Is that an appropriate thing to do? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I think the reason why it was like, while he, yes, he represents a specific socioeconomic status, those are his experiences, he should tell his own stories. I totally believe all of those things. I also think he's more stories than those two stories. And while those stories are very, he's crafted those stories with lessons attached to them. And the idea of like completely uprooting your curriculum based on like a comment of like some random chick, I get where like from a facilitator standpoint, like he might be like, no, I don't really feel like I need to do that because most of my clients actually totally relate to these stories. Um, I'm just saying that like the lessons he was trying to prove, I also think he probably has other stories that he could tell. And so just from like an impact standpoint, like you, I would question my own stories if someone gave me feedback where they were like, oh, that, that story made me feel this, or that story made me feel this. And, like, so I just feel like, while I think it's great that, like, it it worked, he la- the, those stories landed, we all remember things from them. I talk about him all the time. Like, I actually think that that workshop was really great, but I still think my point of, like, your stories represent two very specific socioeconomic statuses, like, your socioeconomic status, but on top of which it was, like, um, and especially as being, like, extremely affluent and privileged and then but also like one of his stories about like gaining empathy from like someone else was like you disrupted that guy's day like he was asking that bus driver to like take time out of his schedule because you didn't do something and like that felt like to me where it was like I don't actually think that was empathy I think you kind of exploited that guy in that moment right um so yeah this is why I like I do think I get your points um I guess my question would be, are there stories then that no one will critique? No, I don't think that the point is that you should tell stories that no one will critique and that everyone agrees with because then we would all just sit around with like, yes, people. And I don't think, I don't want everyone to be like, and, and it's like, not all stories have to like land gracefully and be like, everyone be like, oh my God, that was amazing. And everyone's bawling. But there are also stories that can just be like mediocre. Yeah. And then there are stories that like create some sort of visceral reaction um, for good or bad reasons. But your visceral reaction to that was, and fair enough, like you, you sort of attached yourself to the, the bus driver and the possibility that they were exploited. Yeah. Um, there's always gonna be a trigger in any story. Like, yeah, and there's gonna be stories 
And so I think, so what I should also preface this by saying is that in that, in that moment, in that week, in that time in my life, I was like being asked to think about what is diversity and what is your role as the person of color in the room and blah, 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 blah. And I like, I hate that label. Like I personally Mm. grapple with that so much because while yes, I am Chinese Canadian, which in its own hyphenation is challenging. I, I don't want to be seen as, oh, you're the token person in the color, person of color in the room who should speak about this and you should be the only one who can do it because if a white person pointed it out, like they might now be like, like the asshole in the room in some sort of context. And like, that was what I was dealing with at work was like being the second person, like the one of two people of color on the team. And that there was like racial, racial issues that were coming up where I felt like, oh, fuck, I have to pick a side of, like, do I stand with the white people or stand with the people of color? And I was just, like... So I feel like a lot of that boiled up into that comment. Right. I still stand by the comment. I don't... I didn't mean to make him feel like he's an asshole. I just wanted to, like, bring up that, like, in certain contexts... Like, if I was in a context where... I was in Jane and Finch. Like, I'm not talking about living in a fancy condo downtown where, yeah. like, I bring all of my diamond earrings and, like, I drive in my Ferrari. Like, it's... And in I a, lost one and it was so And it was like, oh my god, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Like, it's inappropriate. Right. Like, from a social work standpoint where, like, you're coming into a community, you know you have more power and more privilege, you don't have to worry about certain things there are certain things you just shouldn't talk about in that context and certainly not in a context where you're like, I want you to relate to me now. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was a bunch of things in combination. Um, well, yeah, I guess like, where do you find the space to relate? Like what? Yeah. Maybe it's just like required a lot of effort to figure out a yeah. better story. And I think also because what he was saying, empathy-based storytelling is about the sensory aspect yeah. and it's about relatability. So as soon as you, you he opened it up, right? As soon yeah. as he <laughs> says that the goal of your storytelling is relatability, well, I'm telling you, there's, there's like more than 50% of people are not going to relate to these stories. You told two stories. So, okay, I related to one, but I didn't relate to the other. So is your goal at the end of your workshop that people only relate to 50% of the stories? Okay, success. I guess, yeah, but that I, I am going to keep pushing back on this. Yeah. Um, partially because I'm trying to understand this, and I'm pushing back on, like, a lot of privilege stuff, right? Yeah. Now because, yeah. like, I don't buy it 100%, yeah. and so I'm trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. So, I also think you might be pushing back because you might have done similar things and you're feeling a little defensive. I definitely feeling defensive <laughs> because I don't know how, like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't, I don't have examples, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure I do this and I yeah. don't know yeah. how to do it differently. Yeah, and I think it's like, and it never, and I like, I think I also, I didn't approach it well because I called him out. Um, and someone recently told me about like, it's not about calling people out, it's about calling people in, and I don't even know what that means, yeah. but I feel like there's a way that I could have, I could have articulated it way better, like, I, I articulated it as a critique, with also a, like, you're an asshole tone to it. Yeah. Um, Which is probably because of the space you were in, so the content yeah. was the same, the delivery came out differently yeah. than you may right. have wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you might also have been feeling like, you invited me into this space, 
as like an extra and then like I said something that made your decision of hiring this guy maybe not seem like well, the best I decision. also I guess part of it was like I related to those stories even though I didn't play golf or anything. Yeah. I connected to it and I didn't pick out those details and because I'm privileged yeah. um yeah. sure. I'm just trying to think of another example. I guess I try to think of examples of when I feel because for me, yes, I'm white, but I'm a woman, yeah. and so I can connect that to when men speak, and they yeah, yeah, speak yeah. from that point. So I'm yeah. trying to think of an, yeah. a story where and like, I'd be like, and so yeah. like I'm totally right. Like I'm having so much thoughts about diversity and what that means, and like how do you, how do you like what is the space that we navigate within that? Because while on the one hand I don't like being called a person of color. I am one. Right. And I'm a woman. So it means I automatically step into a room and people, whether I want to or not, are making judgments about me. And so, especially when I was working with like female entrepreneurs and it's like automatically there are people who will not invest in you because you're a female. So I need you to step up in a way where you, where I'm not going to tell the guys to step up because they already do it. Mm -hmm. Like, and so like, that's an issue for me where it's like, um, how like how does that work um but then also knowing that like we we do we all have different ways of carrying our privilege we all have privilege in different ways and I don't Mm -hmm. I don't think that there it's healthy when a lot of people's way of approaching diversity is just to like be like yeah well you don't have to worry about this and you don't have to worry about this and you don't have to worry about this so therefore you're privileged and you don't get to talk about this thing over here and it's like that doesn't work for me either. Yeah. Um, I feel like the the <laughs> privilege argument in some ways comes across as very black and white, and I don't mean that from like yeah, a yeah, black yeah. person versus a white person. Yeah. I feel like like there's no gray area. Yeah. And I think that yeah. there's so much gray. I actually think that it should be more like what's your like privilege percentage like what's your privilege yeah, ratio yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and I feel more comfortable when people talk about it from that perspective yeah and I think it's also like for me it's not even like I know a lot of people will talk about their privilege as historical too like if they grew up in a low-income um, family or they grew up in a broken home or they grew up in a rural versus urban like da 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 and like on one hand like yeah that obviously impacts who you are now but I also think about it as you walk into a room and no one knows anything about you. If you're a tall, straight, white guy, no one knows anything about you and you are automatically making a different impact walking into that room than a black youth. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just exists. Mm-hmm. You just can't, you can't be like, well, I don't see it that way. It's like, yeah, but that guy getting into that room guaranteed was harder for him in a lot of different ways. Sure, yeah. And so to me, that's important to think about while I don't want to be like oh he should be given a job just because he's black and congratulations to him for getting into the room and like then if he does a shit job at his job oh we should keep him on because it would look bad to fire the black guy like I don't think that that's what the but it's like it's not an easy conversation no um and so I think it's good that like we're having it and I think that like I think Chris in particular, if he's ha- if he's going into contexts to say to people, like, the best way to tell empathetic stories is to create sensory and relatability, it's like, well, then your relatability needs to, it. I question the relatability part. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just, it gets, 
yeah, it's very challenging as a facilitator. And I think that, I mean, you happen to be on one side of the diversity. Then there's also, like, someone who is visually impaired or um, whatever. And it's like, well, this is not diverse. This doesn't speak to me at all because I don't have any visuals. Or I don't hear you, so I can't hear the tone and the pauses that you're doing and all that. Well, and I think diversity very much links to accessibility. Um, And there was a time, like, so I I facilitated a workshop for Terrence with um, Equal Grounds, and it was all about, like, uh, creating, like, a, it was basically, like, an idea day where we were facilitating and getting people to come up with, like, here are challenges that people with disabilities face in the world um like and they're bringing it forward and so I had to like completely change my whole slide deck because most of the people there were enough people coming who were hearing impaired that like I can't just rely on all my typical visual like no word slides so then I like basically to type out my whole script so that I'm both saying things no longer relying on my visual aids and then they're getting to see a script like so it was like it was totally different yeah. for me and even like the certain things that we say as facilitators like um there's like the law of two feet well not everyone gets to walk around on their two feet yeah uh, or when i was facilitating that session it'd be like pull up a chair ah some of you are in your own chair like yeah. it was just like things where it was like we just like I just think we need to question the words that we say and sometimes people are like oh but I didn't mean it that way it's like yeah but that's not how I heard it I know and so that's like and so we have to recognize that this is insanely challenging yeah like to do yeah to continue to question things to the point where it probably could paralyze everyone yeah and like you could sit around be like well then I'm just not going to talk to anybody then yeah which is you know it could be a reaction because like how do you how do you deliver content yeah. in in an absolute diverse way you can't no, and it doesn't exist um because everyone's coming with different education levels and different knowledge levels and different learning styles and da, 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 which is why like i think like individualized learning is effective in right. a lot of contexts yeah that's a good point um and also then there's also the tension of like what's the role of the facilitator because oftentimes it's like the facilitator is both delivering messaging but also is technically supposed to be invisible mm-hmm. right like you're yeah. creating an environment where your learners are taking over and so how much of your opinion matters in that content like all of those right. things and it depends on yeah what your goal is in that right. yeah. capacity yeah um yeah and yeah it is it's challenging <laughs> yeah now do you still want me to come to that weekend? No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I just, I feel like this is just, so maybe it's also where the calling people in versus calling people out. Because yeah. if, yeah. like, we can't, like, this is, I mean, it's, yeah, I find it incredibly challenging as a facilitator. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I am working, I wouldn't say, like, super hard, but I'm working pretty hard to, to be more and more diverse in my teaching, um, like particularly at the university level and wherever else. But, you know, and I've been challenged with that. I did have someone who's visually impaired. And so I'm constantly being, having to reframe what I'm saying, like, look at this, or, you know, I can't say those things or what you are seeing here, you know, and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then also trying to include, 
you know, experiences and like recognize who's in my yeah. classroom. Yeah. And so I use a lot of stories. So, so an example of like, yeah. you know, for me, there's been certain things that are really hard. If I, so if I want to talk about something that's really hard and I want to talk about the emotion and I'm going to say, yeah, it's really hard when I stay home with my child and I have them for 13 hours a day. And then people are like, fuck you. Yeah, like, isn't that lovely You're for so you? You're so lovely. A, you get to stay home yeah. and don't have to yeah. find childcare. And B, like, I'm a single mom and I have to yeah. be with my kid all the time. Yeah. So... Like, but so you didn't say that every single story you were going to tell that day was going to be Fair relatable. Enough. Fair enough. So Fair enough. in the court okay. of law, you opened yeah. that. You opened that door. Okay. That's why I picked on it, right? Okay, that it's, makes sense. So I'm not saying that in every single context we should always tell stories that are 100 percent relatable. Sometimes they're there to tell a message, right? And just and to demonstrate something. And then you can talk about that story and how it landed and how people reacted to it and da da da. da. But as soon as but, you say that the point of your storytelling is to be relatable so that's fair in your defense but in a lot of people's reaction to stories they literally they don't it's not just because you've said i'm going to make a story that's relatable take that did you read that toronto life parkdale article no do have you heard of it no so it was this white guy and his wife who was not white so not that that matters but he was criticized heavily because he was just a white guy who bought a house in Parkdale and renovated it and it was like he talked about it being like a crack house and like there was all these like squatters there and 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 how it was a terrible mess and how it was so horrible and it was like the worst thing that was going on with them and people just like pounced on it yeah yeah your white privilege yeah yeah, yeah. you know all this stuff it's like oh I'm sorry you had to pay a hundred two hundred thousand on your rentals instead of a hundred thousand yeah 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 and then he wrote a reaction to that which was terrible bad it's like no you gotta just shut up now yeah yeah it was cringeworthy yeah but so he's lucky he didn't write it on blog to (laughs) you yeah true Toronto Life probably was like actually like the reaction well, his article was written in Toronto Life. The reaction wasn't. It, I think oh, I don't know where yeah, it was. Yeah. It was somewhere else. Well, that's what happens when you put stuff into the world. Right. And so he was, like, heavily criticized. And, like, in his defense, yeah, yeah it did. It sounded pretty privileged. It was, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. But he was privileged. Like, this was his experience. And for him, right. these renovations were hard. For them, walking in to a house they just bought when there's all these people and yeah. there's dirty needles yeah, on Yeah, they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, and I get that. Like, you don't know how to handle it. You, um, it wasn't what you were expecting. Like, yeah, everyone can sort of relate to those aspects of it. And arguably, like, Toronto Life also is set out for a very specific demographic um, of a certain income level, et cetera, et cetera. So he probably the editors put him in a position where he wrote an article about his experience and the challenges of it and there was like media outcry but it's also like that's the world we live in like even like Pepsi fucked that up and like I don't know how many levels and how much money went into that Pepsi ad. I don't know which one you're talking about. Oh, you don't know about the Pepsi ad? Oh, well, you didn't know about the Parkdale article. Okay, well, the Pepsi ad is even bigger. Okay, so the Pepsi ad. So there's this, basically, imagine this scene. Um, there are people starting to walk through the streets. They all, they all look different, like um, different, uh, different races, different nationalities, but also... Um, 
different like so tattoos or like so like both like alternative and mainstream looking people walking down the street they're carrying signs but they look pretty cheerful it's like start like so this is like the scene that's sort of unfolding um they start going into shots of like individual people's homes where people are starting to like notice like oh there's noise in the streets how should i react to that so it's like one woman is like like there's a photographer and then there's like a celloist and they're all sort of like being called to action um then they also pan to a shot of selena gomez in a photo shoot where she's like she's got a wig on and they're like she's posing for these photos and she's sort of like what's happening out there and so she like also joins this like protest riot thing um and so now all these people are like marching through and like everyone's grabbing a pepsi as they're going because like obviously you have to have a pepsi when you're at a protest and like so they're like panning to all these people and like she's sort of like she at one point also in her photo she was wearing a blonde wig so she like rips off her blonde wig and like rubs her lipstick off which i have no idea what like i'm honestly like what is the symbolism they were trying to create in this ad i don't understand mm-hmm. she sort of like progresses to the front of the crowd where there's like a line of cops and so and then she hands the guy a pepsi like one of the cops a pepsi he like looks at her sternly cracks it open and is like and it almost makes this motion of like okay we'll let you continue to riot and like people were just like like it just was like what the hell who does she think she is to come in and step forward and like save the day martin luther king's daughter was like if only daddy had known like a pepsi would have saved the day like just like huge reactions to the amount of privilege that she's demonstrating the fact that like she she's a white woman who's coming in in front of and like stepping forward Do you think she's white? Yeah, she's well she's latino which arguably is a version of white. She's Hispanic. I think. I wouldn't call that white. Yeah, she's Hispanic. Yeah. It depends on your your like definition, but right. it was enough for people to react in a way where they were like it's also like saying like there's all like po- protests happen for a reason. People mm-hmm. are not just having like parties in the streets when they're protesting. It is not this like happy-go-lucky thing. Um, the cops are like they they demonstrated the cops as like authority, but they also demonstrated that like she could sort of like just put them all at ease with her Pepsi. Um, and so it was like all of these things where it was and it was like a minute and a half. So it's not like it was a short right. commercial. They obviously put a lot of money into it. It had to go up some chain of authorization. And it's like, so is Pepsi just like full of people who thought that this was a good idea? Like, did no one at some point say like, oh, I think people might react to it in this way. Whereas I feel like the Toronto Life article is like, one guy wrote it and potentially was working with one editor. Yeah, fair enough. And so, yeah, but like in the, it's like, but that's what the internet does. The internet like is the place where like you're never going to make everyone happy right um and so right so like that's like that's like not what my point was of like you should make your stories 100 percent relatable it's like but you should evaluate the relatability of your story if what you're saying that i'm supposed to take out of this at the end of an hour and a half is relatability. So if you would have said this is a if I was going to evaluate him on relatability relatability story <laughs> yeah. or a 50% relatability yeah. story. Would I have given him a yeah. pass or a fail? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> fail. <laughs> I'm just and I also think that like I'm only getting two stories out of him. Right. 
So I, I just, I can only imagine he has more stories in his arsenal. Right. And I bet you he could pull one depending on, like... Yeah, but I don't know. He would have to go through a vetting process. Yeah, which I think maybe he should have a more rigorous vetting process. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can be his editor. That's fair. Content editor. Exactly. Relatability. Well, we'll see what he comes up with next time. Exactly. Listen to this. <laughs> to this podcast. He, you can tell you can preface it with like this might be hard for you to listen to. For sure. This was good. I'm actually glad we talked about privilege. I'd like to talk about this again in the sure. future. I think it's a good conversation. This is something I think about a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking, Mandy? Well, I don't know. Tell yeah. me what it's like from your perspective, because obviously I don't know what it's like to be a white woman. Well, I think that, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't even like, I don't like having these conversations actually, because I feel like, um, even like among my white friends, like the ones who've adopted this fully, they're like, oh, that's just privilege. That's just your privilege talking. And it, to be honest, it reminds me, I feel like you can't it's unfair to not be able to have conversations about something that is largely unconscious, which we would have to agree it it is because it's just happening. And based on like bias and assumptions, which I guess is unconscious. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like a lot of people are throwing out there. There's, there's been a couple really well-written articles that I've read that are very open and it's probably the calling in as opposed to calling out method. And I think they've been really valuable and I feel included in this, but I feel like, some articles are like attacking yeah. and then if you say yeah. that they're like oh that's just your privilege speaking and it's like you can't do that you can't yeah. stop this conversation yeah. like we have to have this conversation and and I also like I have been reflecting on my own biases a lot and I and I feel like like one thing I've been thinking about is like you know black versus white men mm. and whether I'm like afraid like so for example I was at the gym leaving the gym at Coxwell and Gerard mm-hmm. and I was getting into my car mm-hmm. and a guy came walking up and he started like I was just getting in as he mm-hmm. was walking up and he was looking at me like he was going to start talking to me and so I was like I don't know what to do here I feel really uncomfortable he was a black guy mm-hmm. and I rolled down my window to talk to him and this was nine o'clock at night it wasn't dark yet because it was mm-hmm. summer but I feel like the only reason like I rolled down this window was because he was black and I didn't want it to look like I was like afraid that he was Mm. a black guy coming up to me if it was a white guy I would have been just as afraid Mm -hmm. if it was day I wouldn't have been afraid at all Mm. because I'm like I'm not afraid in the day and then and I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of like so I get into the elevator often at Regent Park Mm. often it's black men who are getting in and sometimes it's and I've been in elevators with white men Mm. it totally depends on how they're dressed and Mm. that's what scares me yeah. I'm not afraid of anyone who's dressed, and this is not necessarily right or wrong, this is a bias, but I'm not yeah. afraid of anyone who's yeah. dressed like like me or professional or whatever. Yeah. Anyone, and it doesn't matter if they're white or black, if they're dressed like with their pants hanging down, yeah. which I see a lot of white guys doing that, yeah, yeah. I don't feel comfortable like if it's yeah. in an elevator or if it's at night or if it's in the yeah. stairwell or whatever. Yeah. So I'm totally biased against like dress, mm-hmm. and which to me is a bias against socioeconomic status. And potentially, because some of it, it falls within yeah, cultural, that. Yeah. 
or like whatever, like however you, you Make know, your, your fashion. Decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and Which then, might have to do with like job or also those kinds of Right. And then there's like, like indigenous issues. And yeah. I feel like having grown up in Winnipeg in particular, yeah. where it's a very strong indigenous yeah. First Nations presence, yeah. I've a, I grew up and I have a very strong bias there and I'm working really hard yeah. at changing that yeah. um, because my experiences have been in a mm. racist city yeah. and so yeah. I can see those biases so clearly like I can see if like you know a First Nations person came in for a job interview I have these biases running yeah. if someone black came in for an interview I wouldn't have these same biases like right. I don't feel like and so I feel like if I try to say well, I don't, I don't feel like I'm biased against black people. People will be like, that's unconscious. You can't say that. I'm like, no, but I can acknowledge that it's here because yeah, based yeah, on yeah. my experiences, yeah. you know? And so I feel like it's challenging to have this conversation. And I want to work it out. Like, if I do have, like, major things that I need to overcome in, like, a black-white issue, I want to know that. Like, I yeah, do want to yeah, overcome yeah. that. Yeah. But I'm not convinced I do. You know? I've yeah. also, like, you know, separate, like, bias. I am very... Um, biased against white men who are working with children mm. I feel like I immediately start assuming that they're like pedophiles yes I'm like why, why are you working with <laughs> I shouldn't have brought that up that's not relevant but that is a bias <laughs> no it is relevant um, because I think the point is that we all have biases they all come from somewhere they all come from experience or knowledge or lack of knowledge um, and ultimately it's I don't think the point of what I think is a diversity conversation is to say we treat everyone as equals because I also think that that's fucking bullshit um and I don't think that like um it's something that like is easy to work through I think it's interesting that you have the you feel like you have more comfort in the black and white conversation than you do in the indigenous because I also feel like the indigenous conversation is a while not newer, clearly, but more mainstream newer conversation, um, and that, like, we were we were pretty okay with how, like, terribly racist we were for a really long time about that, and, like, a lot of stuff that came out around 150, did we already talk about that in another podcast? Um, um we made, I did talk, yeah, we talked about 150. Yeah, like, yeah. and about, um, like, that that felt like it elevated a lot more of the indigenous conversation into what I would call mainstream um, arguments and, and contexts, and that, like, we're, like, we're no longer just, like, looking at, like, oh, but indigenous people living on their reserves, mm-hmm. and, like, then they don't live in, like, the real world, and so we don't really have to deal with them, yeah. but, like, black people live in the real world, and so we have to deal with them, um, and so I think that, like, there's been a lot more progress in the the like black white or the racial issues um and then like admittedly there's like the spectrum of racism like uh and then different races discriminated against different races in different contexts right so it's like in no way a simple like mess um and then i also think one of the things i think might be relatable to you um is I often think about how I want to teach Jackson to judge others yeah and that I don't want him to just approach everyone as a safe person yeah um and so how do you like how do you have a conversation about trust and how do you have a conversation about um 
what do we deem as safe and not safe and I think it's interesting that you were like oh because it was day there or night that it was more likely that they might do something in the day and then you felt like because you didn't want to be perceived as racist that you like potentially opened yourself up to a dangerous situation um which I actually don't think was a good thing because it's like this like, was all happening like not consciously, right? And like I feel like in some ways I'm like, no, 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 you shouldn't let your like feeling of being a racist person trump your safety. Like I don't actually want that to be the way you make decisions, and nor would I want it to be the way that Asher or Jackson make decisions. Yeah. And so, and I think about that a lot because, as you know, that my mom can be fairly biased, and she'll say certain things, and I'm like please don't say that in front of Jackson. Like, you have that in your brain. Yeah, that's a good point. And that happens and that exists, but, like, I don't want him to go out and and then perpetuate these things, especially when he doesn't really know exact and, like, how to articulate, and he's just making... Like, and we're all making judgments about every single person that passes by us. Um, but I, that's more of where I think about, like... Like, that's where I'm trying to think about, like, how do I bring down the diversity conversation to something that's, like, not this just heady, um, like, like how does, like, diversity work in the workplace, or how does diversity work in facilitation, or how does it work in research, and, like, like that's a huge equity issue that's in itself, but then when I think about it from, like, a keeping my kids safe level, yeah, then I think about it different, like, not necessarily differently, but, yeah. So... I'm, like, afraid to say some things because of how it will be perceived as privilege or not. And so I'm going to say this, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. I'm, like, worried. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so the, one of my experiences growing up... So my experiences have been very racist against First Nations, right? That's And so as you're talking about this with your, your mom, I'm like, yeah, I need to deal with this with, like, yeah. my dad's influence. Because, yeah. for example, he was, like, I got into a big fight with him for a half an hour about Indigenous games which are happening right now. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, that's not fair. We can't have, you know, white games and stuff like that. And All so, white games are white games. Well, <laughs> and so I was like, name one indigenous athlete. I can think of one, and I'm surprised he didn't think of that, but name one professional or even, like, semi-professional, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. high-level yeah. um, indigenous Professional person. being paid millions of dollars. Not even. Even just, like, maybe, like, so the one I can think I about is, is from, he was an um, Inuit who played on hockey, mm. world junior hockey team. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, actually, if he went to the NHL. He must have. He was really good. Yeah. Anyway. Even the naming of, like, professional teams that are racist. Well, yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> issue. But I was like, name one indigenous athlete that yeah, you know. Yeah. And he's like, well, like, in what sport? I'm like, any. Yeah, Just yeah. do it. Yeah. He couldn't do it. And yeah. so I was like arguing back yeah. and forth with yeah. why this was really important for them to have games so that they could actually have opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was comparing it to the female thing. I was comparing it to Paralympics. And he's like, well, those are different. I was like, no, they're actually not different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I need to deal with that. And it that. should be also like, it would be lovely if we didn't have to have indigenous games. Yeah. But, but until we we're in that context, we, we need to. And yeah. like, I also think that there's like a huge... And, like, so I have a similar thing where, like, Ed plays nine-man volleyball, which all of our white friends call racist volleyball because they're like, well, how come white people can't play? Well, so the history of nine-man is that it was created by Chinese 
immigrants who were quarantined at Alcatraz because <laughs> they were deemed as dirty. Oh, and so they created a sport which they played with laundry nets and laundry baskets while the white people decided if they were allowed to come into the country. So yeah, we don't let you play now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, well, they should still be allowed to play. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm like, no, you're not listening. And it's like one of those things where it's like, but also most of the people who play Nine Man, like the like Chinese or other, now now they allow other Asians into right. the game. But like most of them don't actually know the history. Right. And like that to me is actually damaging when we're like talking about diversity and we're like, no, there's a reason why you play this game. There's yeah. a reason why you can't invite your white friends to play. Like this is why it was established this way and like da 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 da. And I feel like in some ways we're like, then we like feel like, oh, but we need to be inclusive of everyone. So then we like muddy things right. in the context of like one for all and all for one. And I like don't think that that's a good way to progress either. Unless we've achieved the ultimate sure. equality. Yeah, sure. But it's, so we can address things like gender gap, like yeah. gender wage gap, until we can address things like um, like hiring not based on postal codes like there's all sorts of things that like they all still happen and so until then I don't imagine we're going to become this lovely harmonious homogenous society of beige people who like are just this mixture of like everyone loves each other I just don't think it's going to exist yeah um but I also recognize that like especially within my last job it was like I was given a lot of authority to call out racial issues because I am a visible minority. And I was like, this is weird. Um, but also mm-hmm. being like, I don't actually want this responsibility. Like, Right. We also ended up in a discussion with a bunch of people about visual minority versus, I don't know if you'd say invisible minority, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. was like... Like so, sexual orientation? Yeah, so it was yeah. a, a Chinese-Canadian woman who... Um, was talking, who was arguing with someone who was homosexual in a same-sex relationship, and and they were saying that they're they were worse off because they're a visual minority, and so the whole conversation was like, okay, sure. So when no. a homosexual person walks through the door, so like that, you know, professional white male walks yeah, through yeah. the door, and he can pretend, he can pretend. Yeah. But then there's there's an oppression going on, and so yeah. the moment that anyone knows that he's gay, yeah. then then it's something different. So yes, yeah. not a visual minority, yeah. but still there's a privilege. There's a really good issue. article you should read around um, the loneliness of like being a gay man. And so my friend shared it with me because he's in Vancouver and feeling like as a visible minority who's gay, that there's a certain level of loneliness, but that as a white gay man, they have actually different amounts of trauma um, because every single day, so they grew up never having to out themselves of anything. And every single day you might have to out yourself to a coworker or to a manager or, um, you know, whatever, especially when people just assume that you are hetero, like all the time, a visible minority, gay man already has been outed for being a visible minority and already knows how to deal with being a minority in a different way than being a visible minority gay and it's not like a oh this person is worse off than this person blah 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 but it was like really interesting to think about the differences in trauma um and and also thinking and i'm not going to say that because i don't but like also like just thinking about like the differences of where you're look geolocated when you come out and like 
the group that you grew up in, like your social context and like all of those different pieces where it's like so like, again, it's not simple. That's what, yeah. And I think that's what bothers me about some of the conversations yeah, around it's this. It's not black and it's white. It's not black and white. Yeah. And why, like, yeah. So it was like, literally there was these two people fighting over like who had less privilege, who were worse off. And it's like, I mean, they uh, were... Why couldn't they come together on the fact that they are both less privileged right. than white and, men? It, <laughs> and it depends on the circumstances. Yeah. So yes, on a resume, when you see your last name and this last name, it's, it's different. Like, sure. she, she yeah. has more privilege than you. But when this comes out, then maybe there's less or whatever. And, yeah. you know, and so also... Also, where are you winning? Who's winning that battle? Exactly. What's the winner? Right. Yep, you're worse off in society than the other person. Congratulations. And then, as a white woman, it's like, okay, yes, I've got these privilege points because yeah. I'm white, but I'm a woman and I yeah. still have all these other issues, yeah. you know? So why, yeah. you know? And then what about like Jews? They're like, yeah, they're white, yeah. but they've... <laughs> they have their own deal like of oppression. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're not going to be happy. A white Jewish man is not going to be reading many of these articles being like, yeah, okay, I've had a, I've had a walk in the park because yeah, I'm yeah. a white man. Like, yeah. sure... Yeah. If we Unless can they live in New York. Sure, but like, okay, <laughs> this is where it's like, let's acknowledge these privilege points. Yeah. But without yeah. saying like, yeah. these experiences have still happened. So I like yeah, the trauma yeah. idea. Like, yeah, yeah. just like recognizing yeah. where people's trauma is. Yeah. And like, oh, well, what about someone who was like a sex victim? Yeah, totally. Right? Like, so I don't think, like, well, yes, there is like visible prior, like privilege versus invisible privilege and like da, 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 but it's like every person is still a person and there are some people who like exemplify privilege and don't recognize it that I think is actually a bigger problem yeah um uh but I also don't think like a like let's tally up our privilege I know is I think I don't like the word privilege either because to me Mike and I were talking about mm. this and my in my mind right or wrong the word privilege to me feels like it's earned I've always assumed that privilege was earned and I don't feel mm. like I've earned this privilege and so as a result of it like no you're given it I was given it yeah. and so I I actually do like maybe would rather have the words like advantages or whatever because I recognize right. yeah. that I've had certain advantages but I didn't earn this. And so it makes yeah. me feel disempowered to say, like, you've earned that. And I didn't, and then it makes me feel like, not disempowered. It makes me feel like I contributed to this where I'm trying not to. Yeah. So, like, yeah. well, and there's me. like an assumption made that, like, you're a white woman, therefore you think these things. Yeah. Or, like, you're not a white woman, therefore you think these things. And that's also not true. Um, so I think it's still being, I mean, and the whole point of the diversity conversation, I think, is to discriminate less and yeah. yet we're actually just discriminating more on more factors on more things and instead it should be about like okay but how do we create empathy for each other totally. based on the fact that like no one else is exactly like us yeah 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 that's true i like that good point